take your copy of God's Word with me and uh, open it to 2 Timothy. Again, we're in 2 Timothy last week and 2 Timothy again this week. A very helpful uh, book for us as we consider helping others to follow Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 16 and 17 today as we conclude our uh, short series on discipling, on helping others to follow Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, we asked the question, what is a disciple? What is, what is a disciple of Jesus? And we answered there, uh, 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 clarified the definition that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, who has answered the call to follow Jesus, submitting their life to him as Lord and Savior. A disciple is uh, someone who is growing in their relationship with Christ, and a disciple is someone who uh, joins Jesus in his mission of being a fisher for men, of making other disciples. We define the term discipleship. Discipleship is just that uh, lifelong process of faithfully following Jesus, of walking in his footsteps, of doing what he says, of going where he goes. And that discipling, that word that we made up, turned a noun and turned it into, took a noun and turned it into a verb, that word discipling is helping others to follow Jesus, coming alongside other believers, other followers of Jesus, uh, helping them to follow Christ as Lord. Last week, we asked the question, well, who should I disciple? Who should I come alongside in this life, in my own walk with Christ, to help them to grow uh, and mature as a disciple of Jesus? And there we saw last week 10 helpful factors uh, to consider uh, as we think about who to come alongside in discipling, the most important of which being prayer and asking God to guide and to direct us toward those who are maybe uh, less mature than us in the faith or younger than us in the faith, that we might help them to, uh, uh, to mature as followers of Jesus. Now this final week, we want to ask, so, so we've defined what a disciple is and, and who, what sort of person we ought to be praying about God would lead us to disciple. Uh, but now let's say you've got all of those things clear in your mind, and I hope by now they're mostly clear, if not becoming clearer. Now you're asking, that, that all sounds great, Stephen, and I, I've got a person in mind that I'd like to help in their walk with Christ. I just don't know what to do next. I'm not sure how to go about discipling this person, helping this other person to follow Jesus. And that's the question we want to ask and answer this morning. How should I disciple others? What's the nuts and bolts of what we do when we get together? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is informative for us here. And I would ask that we all stand together as we read God's word. Paul continues in this uh, letter to this young pastor, Timothy, in this great city of Ephesus, in chapter 3, verse 16, saying, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father God, help us by your word today to be profited by it, that we might be equipped for every good work that you have planned for us as followers of Jesus, as disciples of your Son. You be glorified now as you edify your church. Through your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How should I disciple others? How do I go about uh, helping other people to grow, to mature, to make progress in their uh, uh, walk with Jesus Christ? Well, I want to give us three helpful points today, or three helpful uh, ways to help others, uh, or, or to disciple others, excuse me, to structure our discipling time together. The first is this. You should disciple others to know Christ through the scriptures. 
You should help others grow in their knowledge of Jesus through the Scriptures, with the Bible. Why should the Bible, this, as I ask this question, it sounds so rhetorical, uh, why should the Bible be the centerpiece of our discipling relationships, of our helping other people to follow Jesus? Well, the Bible is the very Word of God. God has spoken to us in this book. Our text this morning tells us very clearly, as Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is, it is exhaled by God. Paul's words here in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3 inform and kind of set the basis for this ancient and abiding Christian doctrine of the divine inspiration of Scripture. And what that means is that though human authors have written the words that we have in the Bible, Moses wrote uh, much in the Old Testament along with several of the prophets and others in the New Testament. You've got guys like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, Peter as well and James. While human authors wrote the words that we have in the Bible, every word that they have written uh, in the order in which they have written it, has been uh, intended by God, even superintended by God, for them to write. These words that we have in the Bible do not merely contain the Word of God. They are the Word of God. Every word of it. There's simply no other authoritative source. There's no, no more important place that we can go to for knowing God or what He demands of us but this book. For the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, this is our highest authority. God has spoken in this book. Not only is there no other higher authority for us for knowing God or what he demands of us, but there's also no better and no clearer way to know Jesus Christ. The facts of his life, death, and resurrection. There's no better way to know God the Father. There's no, no better way to know the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us for a life on mission. No other way to know for certain the path to salvation from sin but by the Bible. Amen. The gospel does not exist apart from this book. The, the way to be right with God does not exist outside of this book. God has spoken clearly in language we can understand right? That through this book, that if you want to be forgiven of your sins, to have a right relationship with God, that what you need to do is trust Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, who lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins, was raised from the dead, that you might be right with God as you place faith and trust in him. We don't know that gospel apart from this book, and praise God that he has spoken uh, that to us in it. Praise God that he's inspired and spoken clearly through his willing servants to give us in language that we can understand all that we need to know of him for salvation and for godly living. You should disciple others to know Christ through the scriptures because they are the very word of God, but also because the Bible, this book, or this collection of 66 books, if you will, this book has transformative power. It is the Word of God, and it is powerful. Notice what else Paul says about the Scriptures in our text this morning. He says that they are profitable in verse 16. Profitable. That word means useful, means valuable, means beneficial. The Scriptures are profitable for all kinds of things, Paul says. Specifically, they're profitable for uh, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The divinely inspired word of God, this book that we hold in our laps this morning, 
is valuable for transforming us into what God desires us to be. If this word has that kind of power and that kind of profitability, that that kind of benefit for your life and for mine, why would we ever try to help others to know Christ better with any other book than this? If this book is the very word of God and has transformative power, why would we turn to books that other uninspired men in the 21st century have written? Those words will pass away, but this word will never pass away. We should disciple others uh, to know Christ through his word because it is the very word of God and because the Bible has transformative power. Understanding these words, hearing from God, reading what he has spoken to us, uh, applying it to our lives changes us into the kinds of people that God wants us to be. People who look like his son, Jesus. God works all through his powerful word. All through the Bible, from Genesis, even through Revelation, we see the transformative power of God's Word. God's Word is how He creates everything. He speaks everything into existence, Genesis 1 tells us. His Word is powerful. God calls believers to Himself by His Word. We see in Romans 10 and in 1 Peter 1, God calls us to salvation by His Word. God works all of His purposes through His Word. We read in Isaiah chapter 55, The Word of the Lord will not return empty, but will accomplish all that it intends. God shapes believers with his word. This text tells us that today. His word, the scripture, is breathed out by him. It is profitable for training, uh, 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 teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We know from Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter 1 verse 25 that God's word never fails. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of the Lord remains forever. This week, I would invite you to read through Psalm 119, the 119th Psalm, which is really quite long. It's 22 stanzas written in Hebrew acrostic about the glory, the wonder, the transformative power, all the value of God's word. In Psalm 119, we read that God's word blesses and guides and delights, that his word gives life. His word teaches, it encourages, it comforts and sustains. God's word assists us in our repentance. His word brings mercy. His word is a source of hope. His word is unchanging. God's word brings wisdom. It directs. It protects. It conveys God's promises to us. This word, these 66 books, imparts spiritual understanding. This word is holy. This word is worthy of our meditation. This word helps us to pray. This word brings us peace. And this word delivers us from our sins. How do you disciple others? How do you come along others, come alongside others in their walk with Jesus? Well, you start by helping them to know Christ, to know God better through his word. Because his word is the word of God, and his word has transformative power. This book and no other has the power to change your life like no other. So, Christian, help others. Help others others to know Christ better by using his word explicitly and responsibly. 
Use it explicitly. That, that is to say, when you are, are uh, meeting with somebody else to help them to walk with Jesus more faithfully day by day, use his word as the centerpiece of your time together. If you're using something else, you're probably doing it wrong. There is no better authority. There is no better word. There is no better wisdom than this book. And we have access to what God has said. That, that blows my mind that God, who doesn't have to, would choose to speak to us in language we can understand so that we might know him. God needs nothing from us but desires that we have relationship with him. So he speaks to us in words we can understand. I can't read Hebrew or Greek, the original languages fluently, but praise God that he's also gifted, uh, talented men and women who can translate from those original languages into trustworthy English translations that we have today. God's word works. It is powerful, and it should be the centerpiece of our discipling together. I'd like to illustrate this for you myself, but, um, but there's actually someone who can, who can illustrate this uh, better for us this morning. Uh, over the last year, uh, Lori Marsh has uh, taken to discipling another uh, young woman, and she has modeled uh, wonderfully in her relationship with this other young woman how to use God's Word as a centerpiece uh, of their time together uh, um, uh, in their study and, and, and helping one another to follow Jesus. And so I'd like to ask Lori to come and just share with you a little bit about uh, her conviction about using the Word in discipling and how she goes about using that um, in that discipling relationship. Thank you, Lori. Well, I'm going to start by saying I'm by no means um, an expert on discipling or discipleship, but I have heard the call, and I've answered the call, thankfully, um, to disciple. It all began with God's urgency um, and his prompting that came through our pastor, Stephen. Um, over a year ago, he was asking us to disciple others. I prayed at that time and asked God, who would you have me disciple? Now, I, you know, discipled others in my life, um, but maybe not in this way, going through God's word to one-on-one um, -on -one encourage them, you know, through God's word. So I, I prayed, and God put someone on my heart. Um, it was someone that I would not expect. Um, not only are we different in age, but we're different in backgrounds. Um, I have been, I've had the privilege to be in this discipling relationship for over a year. Um, Stephen asked me to talk about how we use God's word um, through the discipling relationship. So we've decided, um, once we decide on the book that we're going to study um, through prayer and, and just, you know, discussing um, some needs and things, um, we decide to take a chapter a week. And so... Um, when we go through the chapter, um, we meet once a week, and we talk about life, pray and discuss the chapter we have read, and there are questions that we ask um, when we begin, actually, the book. So at the very beginning, when we start reading the book that we've chosen, um, we ask five questions. These all came through um, a book that I, I really feel like was a good tool um, to help me in this process. And, and Nikki had um, turned me onto this book, and um, it's by Jen Wilk, and it's called Women of the Word. And um, the questions we ask are who wrote the book, when was it written, to whom was it written, in what style was it written, such as a letter, wisdom literature, and so forth, why was it written, and then what is the theme? Obviously, those are pretty um, 
you know, common sense, but for me, it just helped me to have that guide. So we go through those to um, answer those questions when we start a book of the Bible. Um, as we pray and study God word, God's Word, He's worked in amazing ways. Um, when we, um, you know, finish a chapter of the, the Bible, so we also ask three questions at the end of that chapter. What does this teach me about God's character? How does this aspect of God's character change my view of self? And what should I do in response? So, um, God has, like I said, he's worked in amazing ways. And at times I have told the Lord and Danny, I think I'm getting more out of this than she is. Um, and God has not only grown me through this process, I have also watched the one who I am discipling grow in amazing ways. Um, to help you understand what this relationship is, it is walking through life together, studying God's word together, encouraging each other to respond to what God's word is saying, to respond in obedience, and praying for each other. We are two unlikely people who have cried together, laughed together, and become the best of friends. Amen. Thank you, Lori, for that um, just great example of um, not just... Uh, being obedient to, to, to Christ in doing this, but giving us, uh, showing us a helpful model to follow. We should help others to know Christ better by using his word explicitly and responsibly. And so as you use the Bible in discipling, I want to encourage you to do many of the same things that Lori is doing uh, in, in, in her life. First of all, read the Bible together for understanding. Read to understand the Bible. And every time you read, you can ask several very simple questions like what Lori was sharing with us to help you to understand the Bible. Ask who the author is. Ask what style uh, uh, that book of the Bible is being written in. Ask when it was written, to whom it was written. Uh, what are the broader themes of, of the book that you might be reading? A very helpful way to read together for understanding is to make a habit of asking uh, those six journalistic questions who, what, when, where, why, and how? Right? Who is this text? Who is this passage of Scripture uh, talking about? Or who is speaking? Who is speaking to whom? Uh, uh, what, what, who are the characters maybe involved in the particular narrative? What? What is being said? What is being discussed? What is the heart of the issue going on here? When? When is this happening? When is this happening in history? Maybe when is this event happening in the life uh, or the history of Israel? Or, or when in the life of Christ is it taking place? Or in the life of the church? Why? What is the driving motive behind what is being written? What is the, what is the purpose uh, behind what, what it is that we are reading? Why does Paul write this letter to Timothy? Why does Paul spend so much time emphasizing here in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3? Uh, why, is he, why is he emphasizing so much the, the power of the word? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? How am I to be obedient to what God is saying here? Read together for understanding, but also in your discipling relationships with other believers, read together for transformation. It's not, it's not enough to only know what the Bible says. Okay? Plenty of uh, people know what the Bible says and have no regard, no faith in God whatsoever. So it's not enough to only know what the Bible says. We also have to then be transformed by it. We need to be obedient to it. And that's what disciples of Jesus do. So read together for transformation. 
Read for understanding, read for transformation. Get in the habit of asking those last three questions that Lori reminded us about here. What is this passage? What is this book of the Bible? What are these verses? Tell me about God, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit. What does it say about the character of who God is? Ask, what does this passage tell me about mankind or myself? What does it reveal to me about who I am or what I need to do? And the final question, what does this passage tell me about what I, uh, how I need to uh, uh, obey God or obey Christ? What is this passage telling me that I need to change in my own life? What are sins that it is calling me to confess and repent or avoid? What sort of things uh, about God or about Jesus, about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, what, what sort of things is it calling me to believe and to embrace Using the word in your discipling uh, relationships does not require you to be an expert in the Bible. Lori said herself, she's not an expert in the Bible. I've been to seminary, and I'm not an expert in the Bible, okay? But listen, if I were to write a, I, I want to write a book. I want to write a book that says, yes, you can teach the Bible. That's the title of the book. Yes, you can teach the Bible. That's also the content of the book. Um, <laughs> You can. Look, if you are a believer, a follower of Christ, you have everything you need to faithfully and responsibly handle the Word of God and help others to understand it too. Do you have a copy of God's Word in a language that you can understand and read? Check. Do you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Well, if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, trusting Him for salvation, yes, you do. Check. You have all the things that God has said you need to rightly handle God's Word and to help others to do the same. You've got a Bible you can read. You've got the Holy Spirit in you to guide you and a humble spirit of submission. So maybe three things. Humble spirit of submission, willing to listen to the, to the movement of the Holy Spirit, the, the guiding and directing of the Holy Spirit as you read God's Word. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher of 47 years to be able to teach and to handle God's word. You have everything you need by God's own gracious gift to you to disciple others with the word of God, to know Christ through the scriptures. How should I disciple others? You should disciple them to know Jesus, to know him better through the word. You should also disciple others, come alongside others to help them to grow in Christ likeness, to know Christ better and to grow in Christ likeness. We personally, individually, grow in the likeness of Jesus. We become more like him uh, through at least two different ways. First, as we teach others and teach ourselves obedience to Jesus. As we teach others and remind ourselves to be obedient to Jesus. As we said before, it's quite one thing to read the Bible with someone else and to ask the questions we need to ask uh, to know Christ and to understand Scripture. But it's another thing altogether to help one another be obedient to Jesus. How many times have we been in a Sunday school class or a Bible study where you, you spend 45, 50 minutes talking about what the text means and yet never actually getting to how it causes me or, or calls me to be obedient or to submit my life to Christ or to change something about me too often? And, and, and I, I, am, I am chief among those who are, are guilty of, of being content with just knowing stuff about the Bible and not being content to be changed by it. Obedience to Jesus is not first a, a matter of actions. It's not just about what we do externally, but obedience is a matter of the heart. 
Consider that it is entirely possible for someone to have a a perfect church and Sunday school attendance, to have never missed a tithe. It It is possible for someone to be serving at every single vacation Bible school and in the coffee room on Sunday mornings regularly, but still be spiritually and mentally disobedient to Christ. You can on the outside be a perfect Christian and on the inside still be an unredeemed, unregenerate, uh, someone who is not trusting in Jesus, a non-Christian. You can put on airs and put on a face and still internally be disobedient to Christ. Obedience is not a matter of the things you do with your body and throughout the week. Obedience begins in the heart. Our goal as those who follow Jesus is not to look more like righteous church members on the outside, but for our lives to look more like Jesus because we are obeying him on the inside. What we need to do most as we help others to follow Jesus is to place less emphasis on the things that Christians do initially and more emphasis upon the attitude of the Christian's heart on the outset. So when you first begin in this discipling relationship with another person, Uh, maybe a younger believer or a new believer, do not first go to all the things that they need to start doing in their life. Well, now you got to start going to church and you need to start going to Sunday school. You got to read your Bible every single day and pray and show up at all these things and don't ever miss. Now that stuff's important in the life of the believer, but it's not the first thing that we should focus on. The first thing we should focus on as we're discipling others is to say, you need to be obedient to Christ in everything. In everything. Name an aspect of your life, not just your church attendance, your work schedule. You need to be obedient to Christ with your work schedule, whatever that looks like. It's going to look different for everybody. But your family, your relationship with your children or your wife or your grandkids, you need to be obedient to Christ there too. Because obedience to Christ is not just showing up to church every week and then Monday to Saturday doing whatever else you want after you've had your morning quiet time. Obedience is all day, every day, submitting every aspect of your life to Jesus. So when we disciple others to grow in Christ's likeness, we start there. You must be obedient to Christ. You must have your heart changed by him. And if your heart is obedient to Christ, then all of those things that we said before will follow after. Regular church attendance follows out of the joy of being with Christ's church. Regular giving to support the ministry flows from the joy of loving and trusting God who has given to us generously in our Savior Jesus Christ. And service to the body of Christ comes as naturally as your right hand helping your left to tie your shoe. It's just what you with your obedient heart are ready to do in following Christ. So when you disciple others to be obedient to Jesus, don't begin with the stuff they have to do. Begin with the attitude that they must have, with the transformed heart that they must begin with. And then disciple them to grow in Christ's likeness by pursuing personal holiness. Teach them obedience to Christ and then lead them to pursue personal holiness. Six times in the Bible, five times in Leviticus, once in 1 Peter, God tells and calls his people to be holy, to be set apart, to be different than the world around them, to be like him because he is holy. You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy, he says. This, dear friends, is the bullseye of the target of obedience to Jesus, holiness. Our obedience is not just doing things that look like Jesus, but having a heart with motives and desires that match that of Jesus. Confession of sin and prayer for repentance must be a central part of our progress as disciples. 
So whether you've been a disciple for 60 years or six minutes, confession of sin and ongoing repentance must be a staple, a central part of your growth as a follower of Jesus. So in our discipling relationships then, as we're teaching other people to pursue personal holiness, we need to get comfortable with asking other believers really hard questions, one-to-one, face-to-face, hard questions like this. How have you sought to glorify God this week over yourself? How have you looked, in what ways have you looked to make God famous before seeing to your own reputation this week? What new stresses have entered your life recently? What's difficult for you this week? What are some potential pitfalls that are arising, areas of temptation that Satan may grab hold of? Have you acted, or excuse me, have you had lustful or angry thoughts toward anyone this week? That'll make you uncomfortable asking that question, won't it? Have you had lustful or angry thoughts toward anyone this week? Why those two things? Why lust? Why anger? Well, because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that that adultery is not a matter of what you do with your body, but it's a matter of the heart, the thoughts that you have. That murder is is, is, uh, uh, killing someone is not so much about um, uh, what you do on the outside of the actual physical act of killing someone, but it begins in the heart. So we deal with heart issues first. Have you had lustful or angry thoughts toward anyone this this week That that could... flow out or spill out into unholy behavior. Then you ask the harder question. Have you acted out sinfully by entertaining temptation this week? We've got to get comfortable asking each other these questions if we really want to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. And we've got to be comfortable being honest about those answers. Have you had lustful, angry thoughts toward anyone this week? Have you acted out sinfully by entertaining temptation? Fifth, you ask this question. Are you managing your time, your talents, your finances in ways that show your trust in God and your desire for his glory? Are you handling the things that God has given you in this life in ways that glorify him and don't just make you look good or pad your bank account? Sixth and finally, this is the hardest question, I think, to ask and to answer. Have you lied about any of your answers? (laughs) You go through all of these, these things, and you could lie about every single one of them to the person who's discipling you or helping you to follow Jesus. How have you sought to glorify God this week? Oh, well, I prayed every day, read my Bible all the time. I was sharing the gospel left and right. Well, you know, all the while you're not doing any of those things. What new stressors have entered your life recently? Oh, nothing, nothing much, you know, just normal work as it is when, you know, in reality, your hours have been cut, and so your pay is going to be decreased, and as a result of that, you're going to have to try to find other jobs. You're not being honest about that. Have you had lustful or angry thoughts? toward anyone this week? Oh, no, never. I'm great. Have you acted out sinfully by entertaining temptation this week? No, no, no. That's not a problem for me. I've had a great week in the Lord this week. Are you managing your time, talents, finances in a way that show your trust in God and desire for his glory? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm tithing all the time, you know, and, and, and I'm doing all, everything that I can with the time that I have to glorify God. I'm in church, all the, and, and all the while it's all a lie because you're not really tithing. You're giving a pittance. Um, you know God's called you to give more, and yet you haven't. Uh, you know that you have talents that you could use to serve the body, and that there are needs in the church that, that need to be met and that you have the capacity to meet them and that you have uh, at the same time looked at those needs and said, nope, not going to do it. I just don't want to. And you get to that last question. Have you lied about any of your answers this week? And obviously you realize in this relationship with someone who's helping you to follow Jesus, shoot, yeah, lied about all of them or one of them or two of them. Right? But honesty and transparency 
asking and answering hard questions of one another as we keep each other accountable for growing in Christ's likeness has got to become a core staple of what we do in these discipling relationships. Because it's not enough to just know things about God from his word. We must also be transformed in our hearts by it and by our obedience to it. And most often we are not, we do not walk in obedience to Jesus unless we are pushed, pressed, prodded to be obedient by the loving and, and, and gracious, but also sometimes cutting words of those that we love and trust who can point out our deficiencies. We need to disciple people to grow in Christ's likeness by teaching them to be obedient to Jesus and pursuing personal holiness. So, Christian, help others to grow in Christ, to grow in Christ-like character and attitude by modeling the maturity that you hope to see in them. Model the maturity you hope to see in them. Truthfully, the best encouragement we can give to others to be obedient to Jesus and to pursue growth and personal holiness and closeness with Christ is to model it is to say, this is what it looks like. This is what I'm talking about. We need to allow other believers to see the mess of our lives, Christians, and to watch the way that we personally handle a messy house and screaming kids after a long day of work. Maturing believers need to see that. We need to let young Christians in to understand our own temptations and understand our own strategies for relying on God to get us through temptation. We need to be transparent about our failures in the past and God's faithfulness to see us through so that we can model that kind of faithfulness, that kind of discipleship for those who are coming behind us. We need, in order to make disciples who are growing in Christ, we who are also maturing must be willing to be vulnerable and transparent in modeling in our modeling of the daily disciplines of the Christian life. You can't put on a face, can't put on a mask, can't rely on putting on a show to say this is what it looks like. Real discipleship, real transformation, real growth in Christ's likeness happens as we do it together in honesty and transparency, speaking the truth in love, encouraging one another, convicting one another, and helping each other to grow in greater Christ-likeness. So how do you use life then to disciple other people? How do you model, how do you, how do you intentionally uh, take time or, 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 or make efforts to model the kind of maturity you're hoping to see in someone that you're discipling? Four helpful things. First, have people to your home for meals. Have the person that you're discipling and their spouse, if they have a spouse or their children, have them over to share a meal. You don't explicitly during that time have to read the Bible or talk about the Bible. You could just be together where they're seeing you, you know, yell at your kids because they're not listening and cleaning up their Legos. And they can also see how you apologize to your kids and ask for their forgiveness for yelling and screaming at them for not picking up their Legos, right? You can model for them what family dinners look like and how, how you help one another to think about what God has done throughout the day. Have people in your home for meals. Good things happen when we eat together. Y'all are Baptists, you know that. They got one amen, that's good. Have people to your home for meals. Secondly, meet in casual places for discipling. Right? All of your discipling, all of your time spent with other people, helping them follow Jesus, should not happen in the wall, within the walls of the church. Okay? This is a great place to do a lot of great things, to grow as disciples. But in your individual relationships with other people, outside of Sunday school, outside of worship, uh, do those discipling times out there in the world, in your house, at Starbucks, 
at uh, 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 Einstein if you'd rather have that kind of coffee. Or go down to Rio Grande, just north of I-40. There's a sweet coffee place called Cutbow Coffee. It's killer. Take your discipling person there. There's a, that's a plug. I had the best latte I've had in five years at that place this week. Go, to, go somewhere out in a casual place. Go to the zoo. Have a discipling at the zoo together if you're discipling another you know, young family or something like that. Go do life together. Spend time together out in the world, being an example not just for one another, but also for those who are in the world watching. Have your Bibles out in front of you, open at Starbucks. Pray publicly with one another at Einstein Bagels or Cutbow Coffee, which is my personal recommendation. Have these things out and open. Model the Christian life, not just for each other, but also for those who are watching. Bring younger believers with you to run errands. Have them climb into the back of your minivan with your screaming kids while you run to Costco to pick up milk for the week. Spend time together modeling the life of a Christian because the Christian life doesn't just happen in three hours in this building on a Sunday morning. It happens all week long. And we need to help one another grow as followers of Christ in every area of life, even the mundane things like making Costco runs. Fourth and finally, and and this just goes along with uh, the other three, let younger believers see your normal life. Just let them witness you in your normal day-to-day life. On take your kids to work day, take your discipling partner with you to work that day. Let them see see what you do and the people that you work with and how you interact there. Let them see your normal life because Christians don't just live this life on Sunday. And we can't expect the next generation of Christians who are longing, the millennials and Gen Zs, longing to know how to have a whole life in Christ. the, The next generation that is coming does not want to just be a church on Sunday generation of Christians. They want deep, abiding, life-transforming faith that invades every corner of their life and hearts. I'm a millennial. I want that, okay? So I'm speaking for myself. And studies from other groups like Barna and, and others are showing the same things. These genera- the younger generation that's coming wants substance from their faith. They don't, they don't just want Sunday school. Sunday school's good, and they'll come to it. But they want God's Word to pervade their life every moment of every day. They want to live for something powerful. And if we can't show them that the Word of God is powerful Monday through Saturday, we will lose this next generation. Disciple them to follow Jesus by spending time together in life, modeling the maturity Monday to Saturday that you hope to see in them. We disciple others to know Christ through the scriptures, to grow in Christ-likeness in life together. And thirdly, we disciple others to go into the world with the gospel. We disciple others to be on mission with the good news of Jesus Christ. We began this series uh, two weeks ago by defining disciples as those who answer the call to follow Jesus as those who are, made by, who, who are made to be by Jesus, made to be fishers of men. So it's not just a call to follow Jesus, it's also a call to do what Jesus does, which is to be fishers of men. Fishers of men who follow Jesus do more than just help other followers of Jesus to know him and to obey him. They help other followers of Jesus to go after the lost as well. They help other believers to be evangelists, gospel proclaimers, Brothers and sisters, you who are my fellow 
partners in the mission of Christ. That's what you are. We're partners in the gospel here. You know that. There's no, there's no uh, uh, division between clergy and laity. We're all Christians together. Some of us have different callings in our life, but we are partners in the gospel together. If we sincerely believe that the gospel is the best news in the world and that it is the best news in the world for all people, and if we sincerely do not want our faith to die with us, then it is incumbent upon us not only to share the gospel ourselves, but to help others to do the same. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are not complete as followers of Jesus until we find that the fruit of our lives and the work of our hands resembles that of Christ. We are not complete followers of Jesus until we find that the fruit of our lives and the work of our hands resembles that of Jesus. The Word of God is profitable for teaching us how to know Jesus and to deepen our knowledge and our love for Him. The Scriptures are useful for, uh, for helping us to grow in obedience to Jesus and in personal holiness with His help. And the Scriptures, this book, is helpful for equipping us to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus. So let us then lean upon the wisdom of God to help other believers, other followers of Christ, to take up for themselves the very mission of Christ and to be fishers of men. Let us be fishers of men with others who will be fishers of men. Dear Christian, as a maturing follower of Jesus, you should, you ought to, you must, in your discipling with others, Give your time and energy and effort to helping others to go to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must help those who have been called to be fishers of men to fish for men. This is maybe one of the hardest parts of making disciples. Because it's the hardest part of most of our lives with Christ. I don't know, but maybe a handful of people who find it really, really easy and comfortable to share the gospel all the time everywhere they go. It's hard. We fear man sometimes and the rejection we might face as we share Christ with others. We're afraid of the response that we might receive or the, or the questions that might come that we're not ready to answer yet. There are all sorts of things in our minds and our hearts that keep us from sharing the gospel on a regular basis. This is a hard thing to do, but it is a necessary thing to do. We must share the gospel if we are going to be fishers of men as Christ has called us to do. And we can't teach a, a, a coming generation to be faithful followers of Jesus and fishers of men if we cannot model the maturity of a disciple of Jesus who is sharing the gospel for them. If all we ever teach people about being a disciple is knowing who Jesus is and, and being a more uh, Christian or a more Christian-like uh, moral person, having your own heart changed, but we leave out this aspect of making other disciples, we leave this aspect out of our discipleship of sharing the gospel with the lost, our faith will die with us. And I have to say that as starkly as I do to you, to myself every day. Stephen, you must share the gospel. 
You must, Stephen. If you do not, Stephen, share the gospel. Do you know what you are saying? You are saying you don't care if people die and go to hell. You are saying you don't care if the church exists beyond your own lifetime. You are saying that you don't care that there are people who are are lost and separated from God and have no hope of life or right relationship with him if you don't share the gospel. Stephen, that is what you are saying. Dear friends, I have to grapple with that daily. Because if I don't, if I don't, it becomes so easy to rest on my laurels, to puff myself up with the knowledge that I have of God and his word, to look at my own life and the progress I've made in dealing with temptation and sin, and to be puffed up with pride about how much victory in life that I've had and and what a good example I'm setting for other Christians. I can get so puffed up with that if I don't ever bother to squeeze myself out into somebody else by sharing the gospel uh, with others, all I become is spiritually, morbidly obese, good for nothing, filling myself up with all this good stuff, and yet never actually giving any effort to share the gospel with those who really need to hear it. We must disciple people to know Christ through his word, to grow in Christ's likeness through teaching obedience and pursuing personal holiness. But we must disciple ourselves and those who are coming behind us to go into the world with the gospel. Help others go to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christian. Help them. Take them with you. Here's how you can go together with the gospel. Four ways. One, when you're meeting together, talking, reading the Bible, praying for each other, talking about life, talk about the successes and failures that you've had in gospel sharing. Talk about things that have gone well as you've tried to share the gospel with others throughout the week or, or over the past month. Talk about places where you just fell flat on your face or a question you received that you didn't have an answer for. Talk about your successes and your failures. Then seek answers together to hard questions about the gospel. Take your failures, return to the word, be encouraged, be edified by the word of God, seek the answers that you need there or from other trusted sources, and then talk about, here's how I'm going to go use that this week. Third, share the gospel together with those you regularly meet. And this is why it's good to go meet together week after week at Cutbow Coffee or Starbucks, if you like the inferior thing. Because you'll meet, if you're there on a regular basis, you'll meet the same baristas that are there on a regular uh, basis or the people who, who work out of the coffee shop. You know, they're there every time, you know, working on their computer, uh, typing up their sermon for the coming week or something like that, uh, or working on a presentation for work. Your life, the rhythm of your life and discipling uh, together will match the rhythm of lost people in the community. And so you two together can say, hey, uh, we, we've met Jim Bob over there who's, you know, who works for uh, Wells Fargo, and he's always working on stuff for Wells Fargo every time we're here. Well, let, let's go talk to him, just get to know him, and pray that the Lord will give us opportunity to share the gospel with him together. Share the gospel together with those that you regularly meet. Fourth and finally, take a maturing believer, take the person you are discipling with you. Parents, take your children with you to pray for strangers and to ask spiritual questions. Take them along with you. Model the behavior you want to see in them, most especially this behavior of going with the gospel. Now, towards the end of this month, we're going to have an awesome opportunity as a church to do just this, to pray for strangers and to ask spiritual questions. 
As a church, we've done several times uh, uh, these sort of walking trips through the community where we've knocked on doors, introduced ourselves, said, hey, you know, we're from First Baptist West Albuquerque, just church in the neighborhood. We want to let our neighbors know that we love them, care about them, want to know if there's anything that we can pray with you or for you about, or if there's any way that we can minister to you, and take that time to ask spiritual questions of those that we engage with. We did this last uh, around Easter time and uh, had some great uh, results come out of it. Uh, in fact, um, uh, Becky, our children's uh, minister, and Corey, our student minister, uh, have met a guy named Barry in the neighborhood who does not know the Lord, and they've spent the better part of this year uh, talking with him regularly about the gospel, praying for his salvation. There are good things that come out of this time of interacting with our community this way. So on October 27th, is that right? Yes, October 27th, that's a Saturday, at 10 a.m., we're going to gather together as a church, and we're going to take about 200 goodie bags. This is We call it a greet and treat. It's kind of like a reverse trick-or-treat. And we're going to take those bags to specific areas of the neighborhoods near our church to, uh, uh, to hand them to our neighbors to say, hey, we love you, we care about you, we just want you to know that we're here if you need anything, and we'd like to know if we can pray with you about anything. And we're just going to care on, uh, love on and care for our neighbors on October 27th. We're going to do that with about 200 homes that we're going to specifically choose uh, or uh, within a couple of different neighborhoods uh, in these areas nearby the church. But I invite all of you. I, let me say that differently. I expect all of you who are members of our church to be a part of this if you're able that day. Now, I know some uh, uh, can't go out and walk. There's mobility issues. That's fine. Come to the church and pray for those who are going. Pray intently for the conversations they're going to have. Uh, uh, join us on October 27th to take these uh, little goodie bags with some candy and some other fun stuff to, uh, to our neighbors to just ask, how can I pray for you? That's, in many ways, a much better way to engage the community around us uh, than just uh, having a, a major event and asking the entire uh, uh, community to come to us. We're showing that we're going to them because we love them and we care about them. We're giving up a Saturday morning to say, we want to pray for you. And if you don't know Christ, we'd love to share with you how to do that. Mature believer, maturing believer, grab someone that the Lord has placed on your heart to model this life of Christian maturity and bring them with you on October 27th to our greet and treat at 10 a.m. And model for them the simple process of knocking on a door, handing your neighbor a bag, saying, this is who we are. We care about our neighbors. We want to know if we can pray for you about anything. Let's do that together on October 27th. Let us model how we can go to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let us commit to doing that, not just once a month uh, in the fall time, but daily, daily, regularly, weekly. Let me pray for us, and as I do, I want you to pray sincerely. Continue to pray about who God is laying on your heart to help to follow Jesus as a disciple. Continue praying about, God, who, who would you have me come alongside? Who would you have me to help? And ask God to give you wisdom to exercise, to implement some of the very practical points we looked at this morning in that process of helping others to follow Jesus.